This episode of Bulldogs Our Podcast is brought to you by Bulldogs NFT. We are three dumb digs aiming to make a huge difference in the Web3 space. For more information regarding our Bulldogs NFT project, head to our socials, Bulldogs underscore NFT on both Instagram and Twitter, and our website, www.bulldogsnftrange.com. The Wardogs Hour podcast aims to inspire people by sharing real-life experiences and what possibilities we have at our fingertips using our connections, skills and disciplines learned from our time in the military. Let's spin some mad worries and have a laugh. Hi, boys. I have a question for the men. What the fuck do you want? What is it? I can't figure it out. Our guest today joined the Army in 1999, serving in 1RR and deploying to East Timor. Since getting out of the green machine, he's, start, he's started a multi-award winning Moffat Beach Brewing Company here in Queensland's Sunshine Coast. He was the first person I thought of when we decided to do this podcast on Vetrepreneurs. And he also employs veterans, which gives us at the War Dogs team massive hard-ons. With all that being said, uh, Matty Wilson, welcome to the show. Thanks for having us, guys. Mate, thanks for coming on and thanks for having us at your brewery today. It's a um, bit more of a scenic location compared to the den we're normally in, so it's good to be on on lock. And we have refreshments, which is always good. Yeah. Always. Um, Well, kicking things off, mate, we... um, we find there's usually a fairly common theme with the type of people who sign up to serve, especially grunts, but do you just want to touch on what your childhood was like and what sort of kid you were growing up? Yeah, mate, I had a pretty good childhood. I grew up in rural New South Wales, a little town called Gunnedah. Um, one of our neighbours was Miranda Kerr. Um, oh, nice. No, I didn't, Shagger. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Next question, coming straight <laughs> after that. Yeah. But, um, yeah, look, it was pretty, pretty good. Growing up out there, my dad was a local stock and station agent. Mum was a nurse. Um, you know, I was around cattle and horses, of, you know, all my childhood. Um, I was pretty big into my footy. Um, yeah, played heaps and heaps of footy. And then I, I went to boarding school in, in Sydney. Yeah. And do you think you're generally a good kid staying out of trouble? Oh, pretty normal, you yeah. know. Like, I always got in a bit of shit. I was always pretty cheeky, but um, nothing major. Yeah. I wasn't a rat bag. Like, yeah. Probably got in more trouble at boarding school than what I did at back home in, the, in, in Gunny. But, um, well, when you're just surrounded by other teenage boys, it's bound to happen. Yeah. The, um, the early stage of testosterone. Um, the perks of boarding school, I guess. Um, so you joined up in 99? Yeah, so... Um, I, I, I left school um, and, and I was a half decent footballer. wasn't It wasn't a world beat up, but um, I, I left school. I had um, like a couple of years in Sydney playing footy, um, and I played for Gordon Rugby Club. They got me a job working as the mailboy in a um, stockbroking firm. I pretty soon realised that my um, ambition far exceeded my ability when it came to being a, a, a you know, playing footy. And um, like as a kid, I was always mad on guns and armies yep. and stuff. You know, yep. my, my favourite movie as a kid was Arnold Schwarzenegger in Commando. Yep. And um, yeah, so I, um, I, I joined up, um, and it was 
like a duck to water for me. Um, probably being at boarding school for six years, I didn't struggle with Kapuka or anything. I just sort of breezed through that and Singo as well. Um, and then, yeah, got, I got posted to 1AR, which was... Um, I, I actually thought that there was waves and stuff up there. Um, but no, there's no <laughs> there's, there's absolutely zero by waves and crocodiles that would smash you. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. Was that was um, were you keen for Townsville or you didn't care? I didn't really care. Um, I think my because you know when when I went through Singo, they gave you like a choice of three. Yeah. Um, where you wanted to go, and I think I put down one. Um, I think I put down one, two, and three. Yeah. Okay. And, um, I, I, I didn't really care. A lot of thought, really. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, they sent me to one. Half of our, um, half of our, platoon, I was in Binbar platoon. Um, half of our platoon went to, which was five seven then, and the other half went to one. Yeah, cool. I think they just sent us where they needed bikes. Yeah, yeah. Always. So there was no like arguing because we've heard from a lot of people, um, especially grunts. You know, when they say, oh, where you're going, like, people got real disgruntled and whatnot. I know with us, you know, it was a lot of us got sent to Fiverr and a lot of people were pretty disgruntled at that. Um, they were swapping and changing and trying to beg with the sergeant where they wanted to go and whatnot. Um, I can't remember, mate. It was over 20 years ago. Yeah, yeah. fair enough. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and look, it could have been a lot different back then too. People probably accepted where they were fucking going instead of whinging and that they're not getting a Brisbane posting, which was, you know, very common, I think, um, with our generation of um, grunts. Yeah, yeah. look, I was happy to go up to Townsville. I'd never yeah. been there before. Yeah. It was probably a bit of an adventure. Um, you know, I, I heard that... One I played a bit of footy as well, yeah. so I was looking forward to that. But I, I, I didn't join up to play footy. I joined up to be a grunt. You know? yeah. That's what I wanted to do. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I was happy to go up there. Um, I would have been happy to probably go to, to Brisbane or Sydney or, or Darwin as well. Um, probably less so Sydney because my family at that stage were living in Newcastle. And, yep. and I, I know Sydney. I didn't really want to live there. Yeah, you yeah. want to adventure out yeah. of the side, outside of your home area yeah, a little bit. Oh. I was the same, dude. You know, growing up in Sydney, I didn't yeah. want to be there. No. Nah. Um, yeah. So, and then you deployed to Timor twice. Yep. Um, anything stand out? Any stories? They don't have to be worries. Like, we love funny ones just as much as uh, yeah, the violent ones. Yeah, I've got a couple of... Um, Couple of funny stories. So I, my first trip, I, I just went in a rifle company. I was in a platoon Charlie company. Jim that works for me here was um, in that same platoon. Um, and, you know, for us, it was probably the sort of first big deployment since Vietnam. So it was pretty exciting yeah, yeah. At, the, at that time. There, there were a couple of Somalia veterans in the battalion when, when I was there, but not a whole heap of them. And a lot of them were probably more... Um, Senior NCOs, yeah. not, not junior NCOs, definitely no diggers. Um, so, yeah, it was probably the, the first sort of big trip that yep. um, anyone had done. So it was pretty, pretty exciting. Um, I was very, very green. Like, I'd done, um, I think I'd done, um, well, I did my IATs. And then I did uh, a Tully trip, and because I was uh, a dube, I did another Canungra trip, um, and then pretty much we we went over. So I, I was on the gun um, for that trip. But yeah, is that Interfet? No, no, no. Uh, Interfet was before us. I, 
think it was called Untayed or something like okay. that. So we we were the yeah we were after. Yep. Fit, yeah. So you landed uh, you landed your first gig within a year of being in the battalion. Yep. Yeah, man. Yeah, yeah. It was That's cool going. Yeah, it was good. Yeah. Um, and I was a young kid too, you know, I was um, 21, 22. Um, uh, you know, you come back with a few bucks, spend it all. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> See you later. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I suppose what was... Like, and, it, and it was a peacekeeping role, you know. It, it, wasn't, um, it wasn't war or anything like it. Yep. Was, it was a peacekeeping role. Um, and, and we were there to help the, um, the Timorese. But I remember, um, you know, with they... Cockfighting was a big thing over yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. Roosters, so we actually bought a chicken, <laughs> and um, we fed it like creatine and all the scraps from the. Yeah, it jacked and, up. You know, we, got <laughs> this thing, we got this thing jacked up, and um, we put it in a box with a strobe light, and this thing wanted to come out and just fucking kill. <laughs> um, we're we're, we're going to have fun explaining this to Peter on the um, podcast. Yeah, yeah, that would be great. Yeah. Anyway, did it win? That's the big question. It did win, and we took all the money off these people we were supposed to Yeah, good. Cool. <laughs> and um, I think the chook's name was Seth, but he, he did later die from a sucking chest wound. Oh, yeah, okay. No. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Were it barbecued or...? Uh, I can't remember, man. No, I, think, <laughs> I think we just chucked in. Yeah. Um, yeah, like, apart from that, mate, it was a long time ago. It's yeah. over 20 years ago now, yeah. so I don't, um, I don't remember that so much. But... Um, yeah, my second trip, I went. I was in recon platoon. Yeah. Um, and we worked pretty hard on that second trip. Like we were just a lot of patrolling along the border there. Yeah. Um, you know, we were doing you know five days out on patrol, and then we come back, have a couple of days off, and then and then go back out again. Um, but yeah, probably one of the funny stories from that was um, we got five days R and R in um, in Dilly. Oh, nice. Yeah. And we were told no booze. Don't eat any of the local food. Um, Throwaway lines, though. Yeah. <laughs> so we, um, we we drove out and we found this little um, this little bar on the beach. Yep. Overlooking the water, and there was an Aussie chick married to a Timorese bloke who were running it. And so we just set up. We had two radios. We set up a fast car out, and we just did a, a rolling picket. Um, yeah. If anyone came in, we just radio it in. Yeah. No one came out there, but. Um, yeah, we went out there every day. We were drinking Coronas, and they had these massive big prawns that they'd cook up. And yeah, epic. Brownie, one of the boys, said to the um, said to uh, old mate who was running, he said, "Can you get some massage girls in here for us?" <laughs> uh, he goes, "Yeah, yeah, no, no drama." So um, anyway, these four four chicks come out on mopeds, and um, Brownie goes, "I'm I'm going first. And um, <laughs> anyway, he goes in to have a massage. Apparently, she rolled him over, and. Um, is that a massive stiffing? She goes, oh, no, 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 wrong massage. Ah, uh, no, oh, not no. this time. Yeah. <laughs> He's come out of the room and go, oh, and it's a hoax, boy. Yeah, oh, no. we've been stitched up. Yeah, those blue balls will last for the rest of the trip. Everyone's there hoping for the happy endings, and it's just a dull ending. Yeah. Just need that release. Thanks for coming. But it's still a good time, though. Yeah, yeah, it was. Um, you know, and I'm still, yeah. as I'm sure you blokes are, like, really, really good mates with... Um, with most of the boats that I serve yeah. with, you know, yeah. one of my best mates works with me. Um, I, I'm, you know, I did six years of boarding school. I'm much better mates with 
the blokes I was in the green with and the guys that I went to Yeah, funny with. you say that. We were just having that conversation on the way down here, actually in the car, um, about how... You know, we don't really interact with our schoolmates anymore and, you know, it's just the army dudes we pretty much interact with now. Yeah. Um, Look, I've got civvy mates. Yeah. And, so. and, um, but I, there's a few of us living here on the coast as yeah, well. Yeah. So um, we do catch up quite a lot and, um, and, and it's, it's awesome. Probably more so now that I'm living here on the coast than when I was, um, when I was living in Sydney before we moved here. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And did, did what made you move? Oh, well, firstly, um, oh, actually, I will ask that question. What made you move from Sydney to the sunny coast? Was it the attraction of the sunny coast? Because oh, it is it. a big attraction for, I mean, even me and Tom talk about it every day that, you know, the sunny coast is, it's got a lifestyle, I guess. Yeah, probably part of it. It's probably um, maybe go into my transition out of yeah, yeah. probably would. And then we okay, yeah. flow in. Yeah, that. yeah. I was thinking we might just um, yeah. back it up a little bit. So, um, how how many years did you end up spending in? Uh, got in sort of 99, and then I got out end of 2005, like around 2005. Because um, you wanted to? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, did, I didn't get kicked out, that's yeah. um, But, look, I, I sort of wanted to take a year off. Um, before that second trip, I actually applied to do um, selection, yeah. and I was going to give up that second trip and just focus on doing selection. Um, but uh, the, we all know what an admin nightmare the army can be. Yeah. They, they lost my forms. Yeah, that doesn't sound shocking at all. Yeah. Um, so I missed out on that, and I tr tried to, um, you know, get it redressed and whatnot, and they said sorry, sorry. So. I, I was going to miss out on selection, and then I was going to miss out on the trip. Yep. So I was lucky that our platoon sergeant at the time, Buck Rogers, um, went, oh, legend. went into bat yeah. for me, and um, he got me on the trip. So um, it probably helped. I think one of the other lads um, fucked up on the piss as well. So yeah. um, I know that feeling. Yep. So I ended up um, taking his spot, I think. So I got a little bit disillusioned with, with that sort of when that happened because I just... I just thought, how unorganised can these guys yeah. be? And I, and I put so much of my sort of effort into, into training and, and I was just so focused on it. Um, and then when I went to went and did that trip, had a pretty good trip, um, but I was involved in one incident, which was um, probably a bit of a funny story as well. <laughs> um, so on my, on my leave, I... Um, on my rockal, I flew back, had two weeks off, had a fat time, yeah. and um, I was at Mum's in Newcastle. And the the night that I was due to catch the plane back to Darwin, there was this massive like cyclonic event. And um, I, disclaimer: I did get on the piss the night before, <laughs> but um, this massive cyclonic event happened, and I ended up like it was just. Rain was coming in sideways, and I missed my flight back to Darwin. Yeah. And I tried everything to get another plane from um, Newcastle to, to Darwin to match up with my Rafi flight that was going to Dilly. No dice. <laughs> <laughs> then I made the um, uncomfortable uh, phone call to um, whoever, and um, got a bit of an ass chewing. Oh, I bet you did. And then. Um, 
So then they got me on another flight to um, Dili, and then I ended up, um, sorry, another flight to Darwin, and then I got another flight by myself on a raft plane from oh. Darwin to Dili. Um, oh, you're that, you're that fuck up, the pilots are looking at it, oh, that's yeah, him. Yeah. <laughs> and um, so anyway, I got in there and then um, I was charged with AWOL because I missed my place of parade, which was the, um, which was Newcastle Airport. And um, Maxie Walker, who was a um, good mate of mine, um, still is, uh, he was the platoon sergeant of SIG, SIG platoon um, and he fancied himself as a bit of a bush lawyer. And um, <laughs> yep. he's gone, mate, I'll get you out of this. He said, I reckon you should plead not guilty. I was still a digger at this stage. And um, so they've marched me in and, um, you, know, you know, you get charged, everyone pleads guilty. You know, you just yeah. take it on the chin. Yeah. <laughs> and then they've gone, um, you know, how, how do you plead? And I've gone, um, not guilty, sir. And then um, the... The major who was um, officiating goes, what do we do now? So they marched me out and um, the, the lance jacket marched me in there goes, mate, you got balls of steel. <laughs> he goes, I've never seen that. So they were in there, they were discussing what to do for the next 45 minutes. Then they marched me back in and then the old mate just goes, um, look, I, I um, totally understand that there were extenuating circumstances, um, but the fact of the matter is you were absent without leave, therefore finding you guilty. However, the punishment that I'm going to give you is is very lenient. You've got five days extra duty in the mess. Oh, that's so, all right. So I've, I've logged up to the um, to the mess to do my to do my extras, and the cookie sergeant, I report to him, and I say, well, what do you want me to do, Sarge? He goes, mate, this will be the easiest fucking time you ever do in your life. He said, the, uh, the LACs, the locals, he said, um, they, they do everything. The only thing they're not allowed to touch is the knives. you just got to clean them up. He said, go and, have, um, go and have a fee with your mates. We'll see you um, at the end. Oh, sensational. So I'm sitting there and um, all the boys, um, you know, Jimmy, Dave Connery and um, Campo and that, and uh, Bubbles, they go, so what did you get, Wilson? I said, mate. I have made an absolute mockery of the whole yeah. army legal system. <laughs> and then I get this kick in the legs and I'm just going, fuck. And right behind me was the uh, RSM and the Oh, CIA. good. <laughs> Within 20 minutes, I was uh, in front of the RSM, Mr. Potato Head, we used to call him. <laughs> and he gave me the best face ripping that you've ever seen in my life. Um, one of the one of the phrases I recall was "You are a fucking smart ass" um, over and over again. So then um, the CO who, and we used to call him Lord Farquhar of um, <laughs> Shrek because yeah. he was a small little fucker. Um, yeah, he came out and um, just said, "Your rights were impinged upon when they um, sent you out of the um, sent you out of the room, and they talked about your future without you there, which is unfair on you." Um, we're going to quash that charge and then recharge you. Oh, and out. then um, I said, oh, sir, I'm, I'm pretty happy with the outcome. He said, <laughs> I bet you fucking are, Private Wilson. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, they, they recharged me and I was a bit shitty about that. Um, and then we were at the range and then um, this one's pretty hard for me to talk about. I actually had a UD at the range. Oh, and I really prided myself on um, on my sort of, you know, my weaponship and, and whatnot, um, and I took that pretty hard, and then I got charged for that. So 
I just took it all on the chin then. They hit me with a pretty big fine. Um, no chance of promotion for, you know, the next two years or something, or 18 months or something yeah. like that, which I took that on the chin. Um, and then I thought, you know what, I'm just going to get out for a year, yep. maybe get back in. I was probably pretty keen to get back in, um, but I thought I'll just take a year off and then see what happens. So I did. I... Um, I put my discharge in. Um, I stayed in for another bit after that, actually, probably another year, year and a bit. So, um, did a. It is a long time ago, so I can't remember all of the um, the dates. I think I did a, a trip to Hawaii somewhere. Um, but then, yeah, I got out because um, I still had my heart set on doing selection. And, yeah. But with those charges hanging over my head, I thought I'm going to have to sort of wait some time yeah um yeah then i got out and i thought that i'd um you know spend a year just in civvy land and then get back in and then i managed to um i just because i worked in a stockbroking firm when i was out i just sent my resume off to pretty much every um stockbroking firm in sydney and um yeah this one guy probably just saw the army shit in there and thought it looked pretty cool. So I got a job as his assistant and then I ended up working for him for probably five years. Yeah, wow. Um, so, yeah, his name is Andrew Manchie. Um, really good guy. I learned a lot off him. Um, that's how I met my wife as well through him. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, I never went back. So I ended up um, being this guy. I, mate, I, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. I was his bitch. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> so I was, I was uh, Manch's bitch for about five years. And then, um, and I loved it. You know, it was good. I was getting on the piss after work. And um, it would be a um, fast paced sort of yeah, environment it was too. And, like, and my, my job was, um, I was what you call um, a, a DTR, a designated trading representative. So, and I passed all my exams to get that ticket. Um, so Manch would get the orders. And they come in, and then I would actually execute the trades for yeah, them. Okay. Um, and it, yeah, it was good fun. I learned a lot. Um, but then, um, at the firm that we were working for merged with another firm, and yeah. we both got made redundant. Um, so by this stage, I'd gotten married. We had had two kids, um, and I was going to find it really, really tough to find another gig in that industry because I had no qualification qualifications yeah um like i pretty much joined grunts and that's it yeah bachelor of bullets and that was it yeah yeah oh, i yeah. haven't heard yeah, that they, before they really set us up for success afterwards yeah. but yeah yeah that's so um great I, term. and like i had experience working with match in that gig but that was that was sort of it and there was a lot of kids coming out of uni and whatnot and gfc had happened not long not that long before so jobs were pretty tight in yeah that. um and my wife, um, Shazzy, she had only just sort of gone back to her role. She was doing the same sort of thing um, after being on maternity leave for almost three years. So, um, yeah, she, and she wanted to get out of Sydney and um, she found that little place on the beach at Moffat Beach, which was a cafe, and she said, look, let's, let's move here and this cafe's for sale, it's on the water, it looks pretty cool. And I went... What the fuck do I know about running a cafe? <laughs> yeah. um, but anyway, we um, yeah we we strapped our nuts on and gave it a crack. And that's how Moffat Beach was born. Pretty much, yeah. So and it definitely wasn't an easy slog. Like I remember, um, like we had a uh, I can't remember how old the kids were, but they were young, like yeah. babies. Um, 
we had. I just remember driving up the Pacific Highway going, what the fuck are we doing? Yeah, it's a um, huge, like, to pick up the family from what was, you know, somewhat um, be, being comfortable and then to make that call, it, like, that's big balls, man. Yeah, um, but at the time we were pretty excited about it as well. Yeah. Like, um, you know, we both love food and, and eating out and stuff and um, just that classic sea change thing. Um, we thought that we'd be able to pull it off. Um, Shaz had always... She, she'd had a fair bit of hospitality sort of experience, so she'd worked in cafes and bars and stuff growing up. Um, still not... It's no sort of... Um, doesn't prepare you for actually owning one of these things yeah. and running it. Um, but, yeah, we, we just rolled our sleeves up and we, we did it ourselves. Um, so we just we didn't even have a liquor licence to start with, so we just started just slinging coffees. I was, I was the barista, Shaz was pretty much the chef. Um, and then we realised we needed a chef, so we, we got a guy on. Um, and then, you know, we were pretty forceful about the type of food that we wanted cooked and we quality was at the forefront of yep. everything that we did from day one. Um, and it just went from there, but probably a light bulb moment came, because the place that we inherited it, the guy went broke, it was filthy, um, we gave it a bit of a paint, a clean, and it was a Sunday, and we'd just gotten a six pack of Four Pines Parlour from the bottle around at Dickey Beach, and we sat out at one of the benches out the front, and it was two o'clock in the afternoon on a Sunday, there were people everywhere, and the two cafes on either side of us started packing up around people, and we went... Why is no one serving piss here? Yeah. There was nowhere to get a beer. Yep. And we just thought, you're, you're overlooking the ocean. All you need is a couple of beers on tap, some bloke playing a guitar, and pump. Yeah. And and that's what we did, you know. The first thing we did was... And I was a big fan of Four Pines beers at that um, at that time. We used to catch the ferry over to Manly and um, go and have some beers there. And, and they had a little brew kit in their system. And, yep. and, and that's where we got the... Um, inspiration for what we've done. We said, how cool would it be to have like a little place with some brewing your own beers and stuff like that. Um, so initially we got in like a kegerator, which Four Pines supplied us. So yeah. was just one one keg and it went off. Um, and then I, I rang up their sales rep. I said, man, I need another one of these things. So he gave me another one and then we just couldn't keep up to it. So then we put in a six tap system um, and then I started brewing beer at home to educate myself on what it was that we were, um, what we were selling. Yeah. And then it became an obsession and took over the whole garage. Um, I was brewing like on my days off. Um, and then my missus just said, look, the beers at home are tasting pretty good, just as good as anything that we're buying in maybe we look at putting in a little brew kit up the backs because there was this dead spot there where um, where the brewery is where no one sat because everyone wants to sit and look at the ocean. Exactly, no yeah. To, like, the only time anyone ever sat in there was when it was Christmas time when we were getting reamed. Um, so we just begged, borrowed and stole and, and we put this little brew kit in um, and that's how it started. So the it was, it was your missus that... Because I was going to ask, like, we've all got mates who fucking make horrible homebrew. Um, again, another fucking ballsy decision to be like, 
why don't I just do my own thing? Because that was that was fairly early in the Aussie craft scene, wasn't it? Yeah. Like, um, so we took over the shop <laughs> in um, the end of 2012. So it would have been. Um, I think we took the keys to it in November 2012, and we opened up um, on the 10th of December 2012. And then, um, yeah, then I did my first homebrew in 2013. Um, yeah, wow. So, but I was lucky. Like we were buying quite a bit of beer at this stage. So our, our we had stone and wood on tap. Um, we had um, four pines. We had Murray's, which is from down the. Um, Port Stevens. Yeah. Um, we had Moobrew from down in Tassie, and then we had um, Mount Macedon Pale Ale, which is from Holgate. And we're buying a little bit of beer off these guys. Um, and the guys at Holgate were doing a um, like a, a brew demonstration day at Archive Beer Boutique in Brisbane. They gave me a free ticket to go and have a look, and yeah. I saw them do it, and I went, "I can fucking do this." Yep. So I ended up buying the kit and the sales rep um, for Holgate at the time was a um, mad home brewer as well and I just used to ring him up for some advice. There wasn't a whole lot on the internet at this stage about it, like it hadn't kicked off. Yeah, well, it has now. I think back then, like, I was still well and truly a VB drinker in those days um, and it was, yeah, it was a few years later even where, like, I, I don't reckon 2012 I'd even heard of what craft beer was. No, well, I, I fell into it, basically. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I just started brewing at home and um, like, there was some shit, don't worry. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I treated it like a job. So Tuesday was my day off because um, we worked weekends and yeah. hospitality things. So Tuesday was my day off and I would get my shit together and I'd, I'd do two or three brews in that day um, and I'd was developing these recipes. Um, I was, I, like, I'm a pretty driven person, um, and I just I just made it happen. Were, then, were you super particular, like, writing everything down, like, to the gram, like, measure everything yep. and then record everything? Yep. So you, you were self-taught pretty much on pretty how much, to um, brew beer, yeah. yeah. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, um, it's impressive. I don't know. It, we're all good at something. It just took me until I was almost 40 to work out what <laughs> yeah. it was, you know. Um, yeah. And look, I, I've just fallen into my niche and, um, yeah. and it's worked for us. Um, but in saying that, the beer at home was a lot better than the beer that we were making on a professional scale for a long time. Like, it, it took me a long time, probably at least six months, to scale that system up. Because yeah. it, wasn't, um, it wasn't just a matter of just timesing it in a linear fashion. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Um, because the, the kettle was a lot bigger yeah um the hops were isomerizing a lot quicker and a lot more powerfully so you're gonna have to the, dumb it down the first couple of beers were like fucking paint stripper so you oh, just yeah. can't go from 20 liters to 2,000 liters and times it by 100 no. it's it doesn't go up in a linear fashion it, it, it goes you, up parabolic doesn't it you can on the grain but on the yep. hops on the hops you couldn't yep. um so it, it it took me six months to dial it in yep. um but my missus said you can't drink anything else except the shit that you're producing until you get it to the to the standard. So that made me learn it pretty quick. Yeah. Um, yeah, but then we started entering into a couple of competitions. Um, not not because we thought we were going to win anything, 
for the feedback that you get because it's unfiltered feedback. Yeah. So, um, and these competitions, they're all done the judge blind. So the, the judges have no idea who's produced that beer. They know that it's a, a pale ale or a lager or a stout or whatnot, and they judge it across those guidelines, but they don't know where it's come from. Um, so it is unfiltered, unfettered feedback that you're getting. Um, Very unbiased too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's not your mates going, yeah, this is awesome. Yeah, just trying to. And then they get in their car and go, fuck that shit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so um, we entered um, the first competition, which was the um, Australian Craft Beer Awards, which was in Brisbane. Um, and we entered it because it was just down the road. We thought, well, let's give it a crack. And the feedback was pretty brutal that I got. Like, they ripped into me um, and there was faults in all these beers and I didn't get disgruntled, I didn't get um, you know I, well, well, no, no. I I took that advice and I, I went to work and I just did my research and I yep. worked on fixing where those things, where I was letting myself down and then the one big one was the oxidation yep. so oxygen's the enemy you can't let the beer come into, into contact with oxygen um, it's like if you're, you know, you're having a big night and you're slamming down some VBs and they're tasting awesome and then you fall asleep with a full one and then you wake up the next morning and you taste it and it's shit. Yeah. That's because the oxygen's got to it and it's it's oxidised. Yeah, okay. So somewhere in my process, the beer was coming into contact with oxygen. I think okay. VB must have oxygen in it all the time then. Yeah. Right? <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, and I worked that out, you know. And, yeah. And we kept entering these awards and, and improving the beers each time and then in 2018 um, and... All these beers were being brewed on the little kit. We ended up winning um, champion small brewery in Australia, and we ended up winning champion session beer at, at the award, at the national awards. Which that's huge. Oh, it, it blew us away. I was down there with with my missus, and we were like, "What?" And then um, everyone was going, "Who the fuck are these?" Guys? Yeah. Um, but that actually gave us the um, sort of the launch pad to. To do what we've done here now, yep. yeah, because um, we we were because it's a little kid over there, and we were just running out of beer. Um, we, we just could not keep up, especially after those awards, because people were coming in and going, "Oh, we want to try the champion beer," um, and it's only a little three hundred liter system. We thought that we, that would be us for life. We're just knocking yeah. out some beers on the beach and you know having a fat time. Um, but then we started getting demand for it. Um, we were actually having to buy beer in from other breweries to fill the taps. Yeah, we were wow. Out of it, which is a good problem to have, but yeah. it's still a problem because there was one stage, one Christmas, we had um, only one of our beers on tap at Christmas time, and, and people don't want to come into a brewery and drink someone else's exactly. beer. Exactly, so yeah. That's when we started doing a bit of research and development to, to put in this production facility. And then you went and flashed your big balls again and decided to do this during COVID. Um, like. yeah. Well, we didn't, we didn't decide to do it during COVID. Like, it, we started planning for the new one in 2018. So, um, okay. Shaz and I flew to um, Shanghai. There was a big um, brewing equipment expo that was on there. It's held... Um, every two years called CBB, uh, China Brewing and Beverage Expo. Um, I think that's what it's called. But it was just sensory overload. There were like five massive hangers and each hanger is like three times the size of this. Yeah. Just filled. And for those that don't know, we are in a big shed at the moment. What's this? 
Yeah, it's a pretty big shed. 600 squares or something? Uh, 1,100 squares. 1,100, so double what I just guessed. (laughs) So it is a big shed. Um, Yeah, I'm probably underselling how big these hangars were. And it was just filled with stainless. It was just sensory overload. Um, But we just figured we'd go there and see... um, what equipment was good and, and what wasn't, because yep. we had all of these equipment manufacturers in the one spot at the one time. Um, we weren't super happy with, because we're using an Australian company to start with, um, with a little brewery, we weren't super happy with them. Um, we paid through the nose for it, um, having done it once. And he just went to China and got the kit yeah. and then brought it in. And That's I thought, a shame well, that he did that. Yeah. Well, that they all do it. It's um, business, yeah. But I just thought, well, I know what I'm doing. This is my trade now. I, I can go and do that myself. Yeah. yeah. And, and we saved like at least 150 grand. Or yeah. Um, so yeah, we went over there and, and we were happy to probably get a quote off five different um, manufacturers. Um, and then the guys we went with just hit that um, that sweet spot with quality and, and price. So uh, yeah, we, we paid the deposit. Um, they started work on it. Um, in that meantime, we had one site fall through. The um, the owner of the like we pretty much signed a um, intention to lease. The owner of that land sold that land, which was in the industrial estate at Moffat Beach. We would have loved to have stayed there, yeah. truly local. But he sold the land to someone else, so that that ended up falling through. Um, so we had to put the brakes on with the Chinese because we had to find a new site. Um, then we found this site. Uh, we had some issues with council, um, and then our kit was pretty much 90% finished over in China, and then COVID hit them first, and they were shut down. And we had this big shed here, um, and no income to pay for it. Yeah. Um, and we were really, really lucky that our landlord here um, is extremely reasonable yep. um so they they helped us out there and oh, good. were very very lenient um but then um you know covid hit here as well and then some um i don't do any of the business side of things my missus does all that but then some um some government um legislation came through which then made it easier for everyone job keeper definitely helped yep. um and then, yeah, in the middle of COVID, they opened back up again. They didn't have a whole lot to do on our kit, and then it got sent out here. So it was probably a little bit of a blessing in disguise because we weren't really running the other business at all. We were just doing takeaways out of there. Yeah. Um, and that, that allowed me to, to focus on putting this together. The, the one thing, though, was that the Chinese were supposed to come out and commission it and put it all together. Yeah, um, okay. And obviously they weren't allowed in the country, so so I had to do it. Um, and it was, man, it's fucking Ikea Olympics. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's Ikea on steroids. Yeah. yeah. But, you know, I, I, I didn't do it all myself. Like yep. We had, um, you know, we had tradesmen do the electrical stuff and plumbers did all the, the plumbing and that. All of this um, metal pipe work, I put all that together. Um, I got it all square and whatnot. I'm no tradie, but um, there's nothing like the threat of going broke to make you learn something quick. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, And, look, yeah, we we all got it in. Had plenty of help from from mates and stuff. Um, A few frustrating moments. You know, there was a few beers that went down range as well. Um, (laughs) A couple of mil off on a couple of things. I I think we did a pretty good job. We got it together. Um, Ah, It looks good. It's um, brewing kit... 
um, in this form is um, quite aesthetic on the eye. When you're looking at it, it's really oh, impressive. Beautiful. Yeah. Yeah, no, we're very happy with it. We did make a conscious decision um, to make, like, that kit part of being in here. Yep. We wanted it to dominate this area. Yeah. Um, in 2019, like, we went on a family holiday to um, Canada and the States, and it was a research and development trip. You know, yeah. We wanted to... Um, we went skiing, but we also went and looked at plenty of breweries and, and stuff. Um, and one of the things that I took out from that trip, whilst a lot of the beers were awesome, um, and, and the venues were awesome too, um, a lot of the time their, their brew kits were in like a separate room. Yeah. And it might as well have been in just another pub. Yeah. So we wanted to make this a showpiece and, and, and part of it. Um, and when we're in here brewing and stuff, you can see that people get a kick out of it because they can see us working away. And, you and can the smell, smell yeah. yeah. I love yeah. the smell. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so with, like, all the sort of um, hardships that you've had, have you, has there been we, – we like to talk about big moments of failure and, um, you know, getting yourself out of it. Yep. Is there anything that comes to mind um, where you've just, you know, you've failed so hard and you're like, what the fuck am I doing? Yeah, oh, look, probably going back a bit to when I first got out, I, I really struggled for probably sort of 18 months mm. to two years. And, and it was probably probably more, you, you go from being, um, you know, top dog in what you're doing to no one. Yep, yep. And especially, um, and, and I think, I, I hope that um, the Defence Force is a bit better now, but when, when I got out, there was no support whatsoever. There was no retraining or, or anything like that. Like, there, there was no assistance in going and doing a TAFE course or getting into uni or anything like that. It was ta-da, see ya. Yeah. Um, so I, I hope that that has changed. And I, I, I went from, um, you know, being in recon platoon and, and you know, I, I thought I was pretty good at my job um, to being no one. You know, I was Bricky's labouring for a little bit and, and um, so I, I really struggled with that. Yeah. I, I was on the verge of just getting straight back in as well, um, but, but I didn't. Um, sometimes I, I sometimes think, you know, what, what if I had have gotten back in? I, I would have loved it. Um, but I'm pretty happy with my lot now. So. Yeah, and we wouldn't have this. But, like, I say, um, uh, I, I, I say it's fairly common that first 18 months, two years, is um, that's when you've got to keep an eye out on people because that's that pivotal time where they're trying to figure out what the fuck they're going to do uh, and it's pretty easy to end up in a hole. Oh, big time. And, and you know, I, I'll put my hand up straight away and man, I was drinking too much, I was... Um, you know, having a, having a good time, but probably I was having a great time, but not a good time, if you know what I mean. Yeah, I, yeah. Wasn't, I wasn't looking after my head or, or myself, or I, I was single at the time, or you know, my, my parents were probably really worried about me. Yeah. Um, and, and you know, I'm not Robinson Crusoe there. I think that happens to Mate, I would yeah. say no, I, you, I would say 90% of dudes with that and it's got it's all to do with not having a plan when you're leaving and a lot of people yeah. hastily chuck their 
um, discharging and thinking, fuck it, I'm done. Yeah. Um, and I think that's the complete wrong thing to do because you do end up in these situations like all three of us sitting here at that table. We all did the same thing. Yeah. You lose your purpose, you get on the piss, you get on whatever, you know, everyone does and you um, lose your way for a couple of years, I'd say. I mean, I would say nearly all my mates have done the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. The same thing. And it is very hard to get out of. So, you know, we always say this on this podcast as well. You've got to have a fucking plan before you leave the military now. Um, you know, you were just talking about how they don't, um, in your day, really have a plan for you after the Defence Force. I would say they don't at the moment as well. But for those that are listening, you know, if you want to figure out how you can get those benefits out of the military, by all means, hit us up and we can steer you in the right direction um, to get those benefits of going down the university line, the TAFE line and the job line now as well. Yeah, and that's the hardest thing because you are you are institutionalised into that way of life and it's it's hard to get out of it. And um, It's, it's super, that, yeah. super hard to get out of. That's uh, the other thing too because I... I'm full institutionalised. Like, yeah. I, I went boarding school from the age of 12. Oh, yeah, yeah, even more so, yeah. And then, you know, um, you know, most of my 20s I was in the army. Um, I've really got to watch the way that I speak to people in the workplace oh, as well. Um, I'm, I'm a lot better at it than what yeah. I was. Um, but, yeah, I've had a few people walk out. Um, yeah. Just, I'm, I'm direct by nature. Yeah. Um, I don't mean anything by it, but... Um, I'm a lot better than what I was. Although I will say, my, my missus can be a bit harder than me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think we can all agree there that it can be a bit harder, especially on ourselves, yeah. Yeah. Come down on us, yeah. And then what, like, getting to the, where you are, like, has, has there been any skills from the Army that you've been able to translate into becoming the success that you are today? Yeah, look, um, the work ethic, absolutely. Um, just the discipline to do things properly. Yeah. Excuse me, just burping. Um, oh, yeah, that that has definitely um, sort of helped. Um, you know, we've all been out bush on a stomp and where, where things are, you know, your back sore and you just got to push through it. Um, if I've got to stay here and, and do something, yep. I will. I don't, yeah. I don't care. I'll come in on the weekend and work. I don't care. Yeah. Um, Probably that, yeah, you know, that work ethic and, and just being able to get the job done. Um, you know, not jacking on your mates as well. Yeah. Um, you know, staying behind. Like I'm, I'm, I'm the boss, but yeah. I will. I'll make. I won't have my bugs come in and, and work on the weekend. Like I'll do that if it's shit that needs to be done. Um, just things like that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, probably just the, the discipline, I suppose. And look, I, I wasn't the most disciplined guy in the world, like, I got into shit a little bit um, when I was in, but it, it definitely has has helped, you know, with um, just getting shit done. Yeah, and just embracing the suck. Yeah. Like, you still have a whinge about it, but you just whinge while you're working. You don't have to... Yeah, that's it. You know, like some, some uh, uh, you know, kids that I've worked with in TV life, they'll just whinge and not do anything, just down tools. Yeah, I, f I find in, you know, my outside businesses that I work a lot harder and longer as well because I think I understand a bit of pain a bit better than what um, civvies do. But then you get that as a business owner anyway because you're always, you know, you've got to be the example and no one's ever going to be up to your standards, I guess, so. That is right. Yeah. yeah. 
Um, but, you know... I don't have to walk through the scrub anymore. No, 100%. <laughs> hey, saying that, I got bitten by five bees the other day walking through scrub, fucking <laughs> sorting a Renault out, and I was well off it. I, that would have been fun. Oh, I was fucking I off it. I, was I, was like, I swear I left this bush shit ages ago. <laughs> so, dude, from here, what are the plans for the future? Like, um, can you go bigger? What, what do you want to do? Uh, look, we, we are at a point now where... Um, it's really hard to sort of invest more capital into this because it's have a look here. There's yeah. a lot of money going yeah. into this, yeah. um, and it, cash flow at the moment is. Um, but we're we're growing really really quickly. We're getting beers out into um, southeast Queensland is where we're sort of concentrating on at the yep. moment. Um, you know, I think we've just picked up. Um, 42 dance stores in southeast Queensland, wow. which is which is awesome. Yeah, um, and we're, you know we're in a lot of independence and stuff. But the, the beer um, industry, it is it is crowded. Mm. There there are a lot of breweries in in the nation now, um, and then you've also got the two major players as well. So they they tie up a lot of taps in in tap contracts. Yeah, so, uh, yeah. And we're we're all fighting over the scraps. You know, a lot of places they'll have one or two sort of swing taps and. We're all fighting for those, so it is, it is really competitive. Um, but look, we've we've just focused on um, getting our footprint in southeast Queensland, and then we'll probably sort of we've started to send a little bit of beer down to Melbourne, just into some specialist beer shops there and and Sydney. So we'll just look to sort of grow on this eastern seaboard. Um, we have taken the rest of this shed, so we've got next door oh, as yeah. well. So we'll probably um, we'll move the canning line. Um, next door, so um, yeah, we do all of our own packaging here. We've got a little a little canning line that we imported from America. It does um, capable of doing 50 cans a minute. We only we run about 30 cans a minute because we, we we pack them down by hand. Yeah, um, the yeah. Boys can't keep up. It yeah. goes any quicker. <laughs> yeah. um, but we'll probably move the canning line next door and and, and put more tanks in here to yeah. to increase capacity. We just put in um, three new big tanks yep. um, about six months ago. So that's pretty much double our capacity here. We were, um, I think last year we did 150,000 litres. This year we're on track to do about 500,000 litres. Wow, it's big growth. Yeah, Yeah. and and by 2025 we want to be doing a million litres a year. Yeah. That's that's our plan. Yeah. um, Yeah, we'll move the canning next door um, and put some more tanks in. The tanks is what you need. That's what slows you down. You can brew every day, but the stuff needs to ferment. So, yeah. Um, and that'd be one of your biggest costs too, I'd imagine. The, 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 all the stainless. Yeah. Yeah. yeah oh, that, that is the, the yeah. biggest cost. Um, hops are pretty much the most expensive ingredient that we use. Yeah. And we make hoppy beers. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's a big expense as well. Delicious though. Very... Very, I guess if someone's um, looking at getting into the beer industry, maybe start up a hop farm. That might be the go. Yeah, the issue here is they need a bit of a cold climate. <laughs> yeah. Um, so Tassie and, and Victoria is where we grow most of them here like in Australia. Like all land to grow now not, too. Um, not, not huge. We get a few of them from New Zealand. That's also not a huge place. Yeah. Most of our hops come from um, the Pacific Northwest in, in the States. So oh, yeah. just inland from <laughs> Seattle there, a um, place called the Yakima Valley. Yeah. I was supposed to be going over there um, for hop harvest, but um, 
we're just too busy. I won't be able to go this year. So. It's beyond. Yeah. It'd be good to see, like, <clears throat> you know, get back to the ground roots of, you know, where all this stuff comes from. Oh, yeah. Awesome. And, yeah. And it's tax deductible. Yeah, yeah, I was about to say that, you know, um, for veterans that are looking at starting up businesses, which we promote, um, you know, you get to do these cool trips to the States and write it off in tax. So another perk of starting a business. So, dude, we'll start to look at wrapping this up. Um, what would your advice be to, for anyone who's transitioning out and maybe wanting to start a business? Do you have any tips or tricks that... Yeah, look, one, back yourself. Back yourself and do it. Um, the other one, make sure you've got, you got a plan. Um, and the other one, make sure you've got a really good support network around yourself as well. Um, I don't think that I would be where I am today if I didn't have my missus to, to support me on this. Yep. Um, you know, because she has probably been a big driving force behind, okay, you, no, you can do this, because I, I can have a little bit of self-doubt sometimes. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, you need that support behind you. And whether that's your mum and dad, your mates, or, or your missus, you just, you need, you need that. A bit um, of positive reinforcement. Absolutely, yeah. but you, you've got to be organised um, and and have a, have a plan for failure. Um, but also for success as well, you know. And, and if you do fail, it's not the end of the world. Nah. Dust yourself off and, and then have another crack. This hasn't been, you know, straight up in one line, and it still isn't, you know. We, we've had blips along the way. I, I was just saying to Tommy before, this year for us has been a bit of a nightmare. Um, we're busy, we're really busy, but we've got, like, 30 staff, and we just have not been able to find any kitchen staff. So our yeah. our, our original site over at um, mm. at the beach, like it suffered this year because we haven't been able to attract quality kitchen staff to, to execute the food that we want. You know? Yeah. So, um, yeah. Surround yourself with good people. That's a that's, yeah. That's my number one tip, I reckon. Yeah, and it always makes it easier to come to work too. Then would would you say that um, you know? you turned your passion into your business then as well or was it you sort of fell into your passion a bit of both no no man i've always loved piss oh yeah same yeah <laughs> when I, well i mean we can all agree on that when, yeah. when, when, when i first got to the battalion like, i didn't even have a fucking tv in my room it's just I, beer mate, i remember um Nick dalton who was one of the secos goes mate you don't even have a fucking television in here we're we're taking you down to fat cans and you can get a TV and I'll just take it out of your pay. Yeah. <laughs> Why would I want to do that, man? I can't drink it. I can't drink it. I can't spend that on piss. Said, there's, there's a TV in the common room. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, um, mate, I'm not 21 anymore either. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I was the same. I never had a telly. I was just, yeah, it's just the way it was. I'd I go think. in and hang out in some other cunt's room. Or, yeah, know, exactly. Yeah. Oh, sorry for the C-bomb. No, nah, don't worry no. about swearing <laughs> on here, mate. We, we actually trended the other day because of our swearing, so it was hilarious. Um, mate, I, I was going to say, I had a TV because I had a, like a pretty flash room uh, on base, but then moved out. You were always entertaining a lot of girls too. That's a good point. <laughs> Thanks for throwing that in there. I'm sure my missus would be thoroughly impressed with that. Oh, she doesn't listen to this, mate, yeah. to yeah. be honest. <laughs> anyway, well, thanks heaps, Wilson. Um, just tell us uh, your Instagram, Facebook, whatever, and then um, 
Yeah, well, obviously. And the yeah, Addy here. Yeah, give, the, ad, give, the address. Give everyone um, the Addy because people need to come down and see this and what you've achieved, I think, and your first location too. Yep, so we've got two sites. The original one's at, um, at Moffat Beach, right on the beach, 12 Seaview Terrace. Um, yeah, good food there, some beers. Um, the production facility where we are here is on 51 Calounder Road. So, yeah, and the Instagram, do you... Uh, yeah, we're on Instagram yeah. and Facebook. And it's just I'm Moffat a, Beach. Yeah, just Google Moffat Beach. Man, yeah. I'm, a, I'm a social media enough enough. Yeah. I'm not, no, I'm not. You're not hard to find, put it that way. <laughs> yeah, it's it's one of the bigger breweries down here, so it's not hard to and find. Yeah, come in, say hello, try the beers. Um, they're sensational. We've got work to do this afternoon, but I'm not sure how well that's going to Probably go. minimal work will get done, but I do implore all our listeners, you know, we do have a fairly big worldwide audience as well. If you're going to come to Australia, um, head to the sunny coast, head to Moffat Beach, head to Moffat Beach Brewery as well down there, and then come see the production line as well. I'm sure you'll be thoroughly impressed impressed in what a veteran has achieved here. Um, it, it was an honour to um, interview to you today, mate. Uh, this is impressive. Nothing short of it, mate. Thanks, um, So you've done well. Cheers, bro. Really appreciate it. Thanks, Thanks mate. Thanks, mate. See ya. The Wardogs NFT mission and team and all related podcast episodes and content are provided for general information purposes only and do not constitute accounting, legal, tax, or other professional advice. Visitors should not act upon the content or information found here without first seeking appropriate advice from an accountant, financial planner, lawyer, or other professional.